Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and this is a podcast recording of the Old Testament. Although this is not an official recording of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, every effort's been made to be as doctrinally accurate as possible. I'll be using for the text the Joseph Smith translation of the Old Testament, along with many commentaries from general authorities of the Church, BYU professors, Bible scholars, and others. This format will be very detailed, and so if you want a deep analysis of the Old Testament, you come to the right place. Thanks for your attendance. Hi, and welcome back to the Old Testament podcast. This episode is going to be Deuteronomy 21. I have quite a bit of an explanation and narrative in this one, so this one will be an explanation here. If one be found slain in the land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee to possess it, lying in the field, and it be not known who hath slain him, then thy elders and thy judges shall come forth, and they shall measure unto or the distance to the cities which are round about at that that is slain. And it shall be that the city which is next unto the slain man, even the elders of that city, shall take an heifer which hath not been wrought or worked with, and which hath not drawn in the yoke. And the elders of that city shall bring down the heifer unto a rough valley which is neither cared or plowed, or worked, nor sown, and shall strike off, or break the heifer's neck there in the valley. And the priests, the sons of the Levi, shall come near for them. The Lord thy God hath chosen to minister unto him, and to bless in the name of the Lord. And by by their word shall every controversy and every stroke be tried, or case of assault. And all the elders of that city that are next unto the slain man shall wash their hands over the heifer that is beheaded in the valley, or whose neck is broken, and they shall answer and say, Our hands have not shed this blood, neither have our eyes seen it. Be merciful, or let atonement be made for, O Lord, unto thy people Israel, whom thou hast redeemed. And lay not innocent blood unto thy people of of Israel's charge, and the blood shall be forgiven them. So shalt thou put away the guilt of innocent blood from among you, when thou shalt do that which is right in the sight of the Lord. When thou goest forth to war against thine enemies, and the Lord thy God hath delivered them into thine hands, and thou hast taken them captive, and seest among them uh, the captives a beautiful woman, and hath and hast a desire unto her, that thou wouldst have her to, to, to thy wife, then thou shalt bring her home to thine house, and she shall shave her head, and pare her nails, and she shall put the raiment of her captivity, or captive garb, garb from off her, and shall remain in thy house, and bewail her father and her mother a full month. And after that thou shalt go in unto her, and be her husband, and she shall be thy wife. And it shall be, if thou have no delight in her, then shalt thou let her go whither she will. But thou shalt not sell her at all for money. Thou shalt not make her merchandise of her, or treat her harshly, because thou hast humbled her. If a man have two wives, one be beloved and the other hated, or despised or disliked, and they have borne him children, both the beloved and the hated, and if the firstborn son be hers that was hated, then it shall be, when he maketh his sons to inherit that which he hath, that he may not make the son of the beloved firstborn before the son of the hated, or prefer which is indeed the firstborn. So there's no preferential treatment. But he shall acknowledge the son of the hated for the firstborn by giving him a double portion of all that he hath, for he is the beginning of his strength, or his first issue, the right of the firstborn is his. If a man have a, fir- have a stubborn and rebellious son, which will not obey the voice of his father, or the voice of his mother, and that when they have chastened him, will not hearken unto them, then shall, th- then shall his father and his mother lay hold on him, and bring him out unto the elders of his city, unto the gate of his place, the gate of the city nearest his house, and they shall say unto the elders of his city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious, he will not obey our voice, he is a glutton and a drunkard. 
and all the men of his city shall stone him with stones that he die. So shall thou put away evil from among you, and all Israel shall hear and fear. Let's hope that this isn't done when they're teenagers, because uh, there'd be a lot of sons that are killed when they're teenagers, wouldn't they? Modern readers are shocked at this requirement, and some try to use it as proof of the primitive and savage nature of the law. The following points are important in considering this requirement. First, the requirement, like this requirement, like all else in the Mosaic Law, was given by the Lord, who was the premortal Jesus. It is consistent with all other aspects of his nature. Two, the law was not speaking of just disobedient children, but of incorrigible children, those to whom no counsel or guidance was meaningful. Three, almost certainly these were children who had reached maturity. The charge of drunkard is evidence for this view. Small children would not qualify as incorrigible. Four, parents have tried all other means of correction, and all have failed. Five, although the parents had to bring charges against their own child, they were not required to execute him, as were the witnesses in other capital crimes. Six, since the family is the basic unit of society and the most important means of transmitting righteousness from generation to generation, the child who utterly rejected parental authority threatened the very order of society. Thus, like the idolater who must be put to death, Seven, a parent who upheld his child in crime became a contributor to crime in society. To deny the death penalty is to insist on life for the evil. It means that evil men are given the right to kill, kidnap, rape, and violate law and order, and their life is guaranteed against death in the process. The murderer is given the right to kill it without losing his life, and the victim and potential victims are denied their right to live. Men may speak of unconditional love and unconditional mercy, but every act of love and mercy is conditional, because in granting it to one man, I am affirming the conditions of his life and denying others in the process. If I am loving and merciful to a murderer, I am loving and merciless, I am unloving and merciless to his present and future victims. Moreover, I am then in open contempt of God and his law, which requires no mercy to a man guilty of death. If the parents refused to complain against their son, they were then guilty of condemnation and or participation in his crimes. Their rule was thus a formal but necessary one. Would the family align itself with justice or stand in terms of blood ties? In view of the, of the strong nature of family loyalties, the parental participation was necessary in order to ensure freedom from feud and also to place the family firmly against its criminal members. A parent refusing to file a complaint in such a case would become a party to the offense and a defender of crime. The principle required was clear-cut, not blood, but law must govern. Clearly, then, the intent of this law is that all incorrigible and habitual criminals be executed. If a criminal son is to be executed, how much more to a, so a neighbor and or fellow Hebrew who has become a, an, incor, an incorrigible criminal? If the family must align itself with the execution of an incorrigibly delinquent son, will it not demand the death of a habitual criminal in the community? That such is the intent of the law appears from its stated purpose, so, so shalt thou put evil away from among you, and all Israel shall hear and fear. The purpose of the law is to eliminate entirely a criminal element from the nation, a professional criminal class. The family is not permitted the evil privilege of saying, we will stand behind our boy, come what may. The family itself must join the war on crime. Think for a moment of how strongly parents would strive to turn their children from sin, knowing that if they failed, they would have to go through the horror of taking them to the judge for execution. Surely they would chasten them in every possible way to see that such an event never happened. In a world of permissive childbearing or child rearing and the ensuring 
ensuing destruction of, of righteousness, the lesson of, on this passage is, is, has great meaning, and that was out of the Institute Manual. If a man have committed a sin worthy of death, and he be put to death, and thou hang, let's see, if a man have committed a sin worthy of death, and he be to put to death, and thou hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day, for he that is hanged is accursed of God, that thy land be not defiled, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. According to rabbinical commentaries, to leave a body hanging was a degradation of the human body, and therefore an affront to God in whose image man's body was made. So when it says here that uh, he that is hanged is accursed, uh, that's what the Jews thought of Jesus when he was hanged on the cross, that uh, that God had abandoned him or that he wasn't the Son of God because that happened. And so that was their justification or their, at least their reason for thinking that they had done the right thing. Anyway, that's the end of chapter 21. We'll see you next time. Bye.